0: hey everyone and welcome to the hashtag career goals podcast i'm your host adelaide walsh and each week i interview incredible women on how they crafted their amazing careers my guest this week is alexandra dudley food writer presenter and serial dinner party host alexandra has crafted an amazing career around her love and passion for food she is the author of the cookbook, and Sea: Secrets to Simple, Sustainable, Sensational Food, the host of the podcast, Comfort Supper, and all-around food goddess, sharing delicious recipes and food inspiration to her thousands of followers on Instagram. At 20 years old, Alexandra launched her first company, Punch Foods, a healthy snack startup stocked in major retailers such as Sainsbury's and Planet Organic. However, running a business can be super stressful, and soon Alexandra started to experience burnout and loss of motivation. She quickly realised that this career path was not for her. Continuing with her passion for food, Alexandra made a career pivot into food writing and building her personal brand as a food influencer on Instagram. Today, she successfully curated a career around her passion writing food columns for publications such as Town & Country, hosting her own podcast, *Come for Supper, where she interviews chefs, restaurateurs, and creative people about their relationship with food, and inspiring others in the kitchen through her amazing Instagram content and cookbook. In this episode, Alexandra and I discuss curating a career for yourself with the help of social media, passion, and networking, and the importance of not comparing yourself to others. Thank you so much, Alexandra, for joining me, and I hope you all enjoy this one. Okay, so tell me about your school days, and what did you want to be when you grew up?
1: Gosh, so I think I wanted to be lots of different things. Uh, at one point, I wanted to be a ballerina, quite okay. seriously. So yeah, Amazing. <laughs> quite serious. Um, so when I was pre-13, I wasn't that academically bright so the idea was that I was going to leave school and go and dance permanently and then I remember one day I got above 50% in a maths test and so they were like you're you're going to go you're, you're going to go to carry on with school and you're not going to dance and then hmm. kind of being on stage was always always something that I really enjoyed so then I wanted to be an actress and I took that quite seriously and then I I kind of excelled at art and then, you know, through my secondary school and my kind of free time, art was something that I sort of did more and more. And so I ended up going to art school and then sort of, you know, assumed that I would be an artist. And I mean, I still make work now. I don't know if I would call myself a practicing artist. It's been a long time since I sold any work, but that was definitely something I wanted to do.
0: And why did you kind of love that? Was it the creativity element, the way you could express yourself? How
1: did you? Why was that?
0: Why were you so drawn to that kind of art world? I
1: think. I mean, yes. I think the creativity element. I think also expressing yourself. I mean, I often think of it as kind of like a narciss. I definitely have a narcissistic streak. A lot yeah. of my artwork was kind of self-obsessed, but self-kind of discovery and self-sort um, uh, of, yeah, sort of kind of like investigating yourself and, yeah, th- and yeah. then I guess through that you're you know the thing is we are we are all unique but there are so many things that make us similar to other people so through making that work and through kind of finding things out about yourself you you other people relate to it and then you find out things about them and so it was definitely quite cathartic for me making art
0: yeah a process of like self-discovery amazing yeah <laughs> um okay so you studied fine arts in university
1: Yes. Exactly. Um, what career line were you going to kind of go into so I so when I was studying art school I studied art school in London and this is actually where I before I kind of did what I do now I I started and ran a snack company and that's an idea that sort of formed when I was studying um so so I used to visit lots of galleries and I would spend at least kind of two days of my week running around London and going to all the galleries. And there are obviously, we always think about the big galleries like the Tate and the National Portrait Gallery, but there are so many small galleries. I mean, there must be, there must be a hundred in London and there's always new shows. There was always something to see and you're always kind of going from Shoreditch all the way to kind of Mayfair. And then maybe you're going to Bethnal Green and then maybe you're going to kind of firm or something like you were going, I was going all over town and I, at the time I just been diagnosed, thankfully, I'm, I'm, it's all, I'm much better now, but, um, I had quite severe digestive disorders. And so I was limited on things that I could snack on. And you always get given these quite extreme diets to follow. And I found it quite like a struggle. Um, and so I always brought little snacks with me and I would never bring fruit because it would always get squished in my bag. And I feel like every, this is pre-banana guard time, guys. Mm-hmm. Like I, This yeah. is, you know, <laughs> it was like, squished bananas everywhere. Yeah. So I used to bring this little bag of seeds and I, I love seeds. I, I still love seeds. Anyway, I used to bring this little bag of seeds with me and everybody would kind of tease me and like take the piss out of me until they were hungry and they wanted some of the seeds. They and were I'm there like, for the seeds. I, yeah. Now you want the seeds, but I always carried them around just like in a ziploc bag. And um, I can't remember exactly when or why, other than the reason that it was something I already did. But I came up with this plan. I mean, already I was quite interested in food, and I'm sure we'll talk about that. But food was something I was quite interested in, um, and it was. This was definitely pre uh, the kind of health food market yeah, okay. being yeah, yeah. such a big you know, this is kind of pre delicious Ella and like Hemsie Hemsie days. It was, that was, that scene was just kind of taking off. And I was, I was really watching these people like later on, I and sort of kind of excelling at the same time. But my plan was to set up like a, 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 a essentially a, a healthy snack product. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I saw a kind of gap in the market. It sounds so business-minded, so not how I think of myself, but I did, I saw a gap in the market. An opportunity, Yeah, exactly. And then I I really (laughs) focused on it. So for my last two years of art school, I was focusing on that a lot. And then, and the plan, the actual plan was to leave art school set up this snack company that miraculously was just going to run itself and then i was going to open a cafe slash art gallery and what actually happened is that i left art school i had quite a successful graduate show which um, resulted and led on to a couple of solo shows so i was spending a lot of time working for them and then i was well i was working full-time as well but i was kind of using all my free time in my brain to create this brand in my head and i spent about a year creating the brand. And then I invested pretty much all the money that I had earned, um, that I didn't have to live off into this brand. And it did, uh, relatively well. And, you know, we, I started in very kind of small independence and, and delis. And then, you know, in the end I was selling in supermarkets and a cardo and exporting and Amazing,
0: yeah.
1: yeah, it's a very, it's a long story, but to cut it short, you know, it went from an idea on my kitchen table quite literally to me kind of employing six people and, and I had a kind of small factory making family run factory, actually really nice factory, but making, making the product. So I started by making it myself. I moved to an industrial kitchen. Then I decided that was not the route for me to go. And I wanted to outsource the production and really focus on the brand building and the selling. Cause that's obviously really important when you run something. Yeah. Um, and I, I did that. And naturally I think creating art in a physical sense fell away because running a business like that was completely exhausting um and I'm used to working hard like I like working hard I'm one of those yes, people yes. that in really enjoys it so that wasn't difficult but it got to a point where I was really exhausted I was I was pretty much at burnout um I was working kind of you know, like 16 hour days, and I was working every weekend, and Sunday nights I'd be back in my kitchen at, the, at that time, those first two years. Um, and I also sort of had, I, you know, I, th- I think it's a bit different now, but at the time I was very disillusioned with the wellness industry. I just felt like it wasn't very well in a sense. Um, I didn't believe in a lot of the things that, a lot of slogans and stuff that were being thrown around. Yeah, and I promotion more dieting and stuff was yeah. yeah. kind of
0: unhealthy. Yeah. <sighs>
1: Yeah, exactly. And, and there were other things as well, which I, I feel like I've realized more now, actually. But I realized then that it wasn't the space that I wanted to be in. Okay, yeah. I missed creating, but I missed talking to people who created things. And so I, it came to a point where I decided to pivot. This is what I, I, I'm always talking about, but I, I looked at kind of my opportunities and stuff that was going on and I saw doors that were open. Mm-hmm. any sort of opportunities that were there if I took them then so so for instance I'd got my book deal which was a big turning point and essentially I closed the business I had some investors so I pretty much returned their money to them um we closed in a quite financially strong position so I still had enough money to live for a year and um I I, I closed it and then I just focused on food writing and interviewing and that kind of thing so that was a turning point for me Amazing.
0: So let's just um, kind of evaluate that part of your life. So what did you really learn from that business venture and that you now kind of use as a lesson and implement today in your work today, be it kind of working independently, etc.? What was your biggest learning?
1: Gosh, I mean, it's, it's like a learning and a kind of having to unlearn. So something that I found absolutely crucial when I was running a business like that was to be aware of your competitors. Um, and when you're competing for one space on a shelf, and it, and it really is like that, like a lot of the stores that you will talk to, they'll have room for one variation of that product. And it, it varies with product to product, but there's, there, there is not room for everyone in that space. Um, and I, it, it's something that I was kind of obsessed with when I started doing what I'm doing now and I was and I've always been ca- comparison is probably one of my biggest weaknesses but I was always comparing myself to what everybody else was doing looking at what they were doing and I still do it sometimes but I had to learn that it's something I, I really try to kind of put blinks on and focus on now which is completely the opposite of what I used to do then uh, I mean like seriously back then I would have spreadsheets on you know, competitor brands within the UK, competitor yeah. brands within the US. Like I, I was, you know, different competitors, like different, um, so I sold C's, but I would also look at kind of chocolate products or crisps and like every okay, single yeah, yeah, shelf. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was intense. And now I think the biggest thing I have learned is... Um, to to kind of not waste time worrying about what everybody else is doing because Mm. there is in, in a different space, you know, yes, it's still competitors. Yes. There probably is not room for everyone, but there is room for a lot more people. And I think there's a lot more room to, be unique and show personality and the thing about people is that everybody's personality is different you will never find someone that has the exact same same personality as someone else whereas you might find a, a product that has the exact same ingredients as something else because they're 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 just made differently um so that's something i i think's important to the kind of work i do now is not to compare yourself too much and what everybody else is doing just focus on Your voice and finding out your voice and what that is.
0: Yeah, I guess as well. It's like focusing on that one thing that you're going to run with and really, really Mm -hmm. grow rather than, you know, looking at seeds and chocolates, etc just because your competitor is doing. So, yeah, definitely. I think it's that and finding your unique branding and your kind of your own voice, really. You closed this business just based on kind of um, wanting to pivot into different areas. So, just tell me about that a little bit in terms of those doors opening up, you mentioned your book deal. Um, Mm -hmm. How did they kind of, how did those pieces kind of fall into place in that you were comfortable enough to say, okay, I have, I can safely close one business, but I can um, rely
1: and depend on all these different deals that are happening for me? Well, I mean, first of all, I don't, things definitely were not falling into place. Mm -hmm. Um, To be honest, I felt at the time, I felt, I felt, deeply unhappy and I felt completely desperate I just felt like I couldn't go on anymore I really really did not enjoy the work that I was doing and I realized you know even when we got a win so I remember when we got an email from Sainsbury's being like oh we want to stock you I was just not excited that was something that we had been working towards you know essentially since the beginning and I just really wasn't excited so at the point, I was like, I just can't do this. I need to do anything than this. And and the book deal was great. And it sounds really magical. And I'm so grateful that I <laughs> had my book and book deal. But the reality is that it's it, it's not, it isn't like a magic carpet that takes you anywhere to kind of this magical land where everything is brilliant. But at the time, it was one thing that I could cling on to. And I really believe in life. There's always one element you can hold on to and, and decide that that is your positive. Yeah. And if you focus on it, you can grow it. Um, so in all honesty it was i i just had to at the time i realized i didn't want to do what i was doing anymore i had to find something else to focus on and i threw myself into that and actually at that time as much as i wanted to be a food writer and write write more about food i i saw myself as very small within that industry i still am but i'd have more confidence in the space i take up but at that time i Really thought there was no hope. I thought I'd never be doing it, and I thought I'd be a food stylist, and which is something I am not now. And I realized then that it's a very difficult industry to to go into. Mm -hmm. But you know, as at at that time, at least I had a plan, I had a goal, and something that I was working towards. And then you know, it sort of took me somewhere else, very closely related, but you you can never kind of exactly decide where you're going to end up. I think.
0: Yeah, you almost have to kind of go with the flow almost and just kind of try keep things try keep things focused at least so tell me a little bit about the book um so that's kind of about sustainable um and kind of easy recipes tell Mm -hmm. me a little bit about that inspiration and also just in terms of writing a book etc how does that work exactly
1: so I actually wrote the book when I was still running my business and it was a really quick turnaround between, even though I wrote it almost two years before it ended up coming out. Um, but it was a quick turnaround because initially it was going to go to print, I think six months before it ended up going to print. Cause there's all these things when a book comes out, they want to make sure it doesn't clash with this person or that person. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no point. You don't want to have your book coming out at the same time as Jamie Oliver because no one will see and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Um, so it was quite a rushed process and i ha- i think because i'd spent a long long time kind of fantasizing about it i i would always think at the back of my head oh you know this is something i'd put in my bu- my my book so i had these this kind of back catalog in my brain of things i would put in there um so i didn't i didn't whereas if i did a book now i at the time i didn't kind of create new recipes for the book these were just recipes that i just had yeah, so it's yeah. a relatively quick Acuration, process to get them kind of down thing. exactly
0: yeah.
1: um and and so it for me it feels so old but I, I i'm so i love that people still love it and people buy it and that it's new for them and that's really exciting um but it was quite an in, intense process something i definitely have learned from recipe writing i love to write and i love to describe things and that was obviously my first experience with actually writing a book and writing recipes in a format that's a bit different to kind of if you're writing them for a website or for a blog where you have a little bit more of a narrative a narrative is obviously lovely but when you're writing a recipe it just has to be clear so you do not need kind of a, a kind of six paragraph essay at the beginning on on why you love uh, I didn't yeah. know oats or why you have a special dish. story exactly yeah, yeah, yeah um and a little bit of that but it was learning to kind of condense that um and the editing process was definitely one of the most difficult processes for me. I, It was like hardcore, um, you know, cold turkey editing. I felt, I felt, I feel like now I'm a, I'm a great, I'm a much better editor. I'm very good at being brutal with cutting content and words. Yeah, that's amazing that you can
0: look back and be like, oh, this is what I would now do versus what the type of, uh, yeah. the kind of, kind of approach I took before it's like almost you can see your growth in that kind of industry etc how you would look at things so tell me so tell me about your relationship with foods where did you get that love I mean obviously we all love to eat etc but you know where did you kind of get that passion to want to pursue a career in it like was it from a young age how how did that work
1: yeah it was from a young age I feel like so many people answer that it was from a young age but in, in a way it makes sense I mean I'm very lucky that I was brought up in a household where my mum cooked a lot. So I always saw my mum cooking. I was brought up on kind of fresh food and ingredients. And so I think it forms an, uh, it's like an early formative relationship and appreciation that you have for, for, you know, ingredients and how ingredient better ingredients make better food. And you know, that some food tastes nicer than others and that food is not just fuel, um, because I, my father, for instance, thinks that food is just full and fuel. He, he always mm-hmm. jokes he could eat a bowl of cereal three times a day. And I'm just like, no, yeah. gosh, how sad. What a no nutrition. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> but um, really, I think it was when I was really young, I, mean, I, I wrote my first recipe book, I say in inverted commas, um, when I was about 11. And it was mm. called Alexandra's Recipe Book. And it was basically me copying recipes from one of my mom's old French cookbooks and then sort of redesigning them and then I remember one day when we made all the recipes of the book because obviously I just like changed certain ingredients for other things and it just obviously you can't do that you can't just change one thing for another thing without checking Um, (laughs) so it was quite funny when when we tested some of the recipes but um I did start cooking from a young age and one of my first things I did to make money was I baked cakes and tarts um, during the weekends and my kind of summer holidays, and I started a little tar company where people I had three sort of tarts I had like a flowerless chocolate tart and then an apple tar, and then this kind of French pan tart that i could I would mix with kind of whatever fruit was in season or whatever fruit I could get access to at the time. And the idea was that people could either buy them frozen or they could buy them and freeze them and then they could defrost them oh, for wow. when, they had, when they had a dinner party. Because at the time, like, you know, places like Paul, that French bakery, and yeah. they didn't really exist. You could either get the supermarket puddings, which are nice, but they were so obviously from a supermarket yeah or you had to know someone and even great bakeries didn't exist at that time you know you had to know someone to make something and so it was really it was really successful at the time and yeah I
0: love how you're thinking that though you know what what does the customer need here you're really bringing yeah. that business elements of yeah. it yeah, brilliant wow. the yeah. from a very young age
1: yeah. I mean, well, I used to deep clean people's fridges for a fiver when oh. I was 11. <laughs> I thought you were now a I'm fun. Like, <laughs> no, I mean, now I'm like, God, if someone wanted to come and deep clean my fridge for a fiver, I'd be like, oh yeah, God. of course, give you 50 quid. <laughs> um, but yeah, I did that. And I, I, did, I wasn't very really confident um, when I was younger. Um, I was very self-conscious about lots of different things, like the way I looked and my intelligence and everything. So, mm-hmm. cooking was weirdly the only. I was so aware that I was stupid as well. It was something that was kind of like drummed into me, which is ridiculous because in the end, I you know I I, I did well and I'm not stupid now. I I definitely know I'm not. But at the time, I was very self conscious about that. Um, and cooking and baking was like something. It was pretty much the only time where. I would have confidence in my skill set and what I had done. Mm -hmm. So I would put something down and I know it sounds a bit arrogant, but if someone was like, Oh, this is delicious. I'd be like, I know. In my head, I'd be like, I know it is. And your confidence is there. Brilliant. Yeah. And it was kind of the only thing at the time where I had it. So I think that's what I wanted to, you know, if, if you're good at something, you take more interest in it and then you want to, you, you kind of want to learn more and get better and Excel and exceed. So Amazing.
0: Uh, yeah. You bring your best self to it. That's, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay, so I guess fast forward to today. Describe your current um title in version commons and your typical day-to-day. So how would you kind of describe your career um today?
1: So when, oh, I mean, when lots of people ask that, I think it's also mm-hmm. because of the nature of what millennials do. You know, people are like, what do you do? Um, yeah,
0: certainly. So-
1: <laughs> Yeah. Mean, like, what like, category can I
0: put you in? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs>
1: um, I mean, I would say that I am a food writer and I'm working towards being a presenter. So mm. I guess it goes back. It's like a full circle my whole career is so that I essentially I love performing, um, but I like performing. I mean, I'm so far from being an actress and I realise that I really like, I just like talking to people a lot. It's probably why I chatted so much at school and didn't get anything done, but (laughs) I really, I really like having conversations with people. Um, And I like, like you said, you've, you've seen me do some of my live podcasts. I, I think I am happiest when I'm doing that. I find that, I find it so interesting and I find the added, I don't know whether it's pressure or kind of, um, thrill of doing it in front of an audience yeah. I find it almost addictive like I just loved it some people think it's mad but I I love to do that so I would say that I'm, a, I'm a food writer trying to you know working towards being a presenter um, and I obviously I write lots of stuff on my website I have a monthly recipe column for town and country I write occasional recipes for other freelance for other kind of publications and then I write mainly food focused feature pieces as well um whether there'll be interviews I write for another lovely magazine called table um where I do a lot of interview feature style pieces with various you know they don't have to be chefs some I've interviewed a ceramicist an artist I've interviewed people who press flowers and do incredible things with pressing flowers um amazing so that's what I would say I do now yeah
0: I love that because I think it's um it's a completely curated career based on completely. your interests and your passions. And that's, that's yeah. exactly why I chose and wanted to interview because it's super interesting. It's kind of like, well, here are my skills, here are my interests. How can I almost create a career for myself where I'm mm-hmm. my most happiest and my most confident? So in terms of your own personal brand and I guess having creating a presence for yourself in the food industry, um which ultimately kind of has led to creating these partnerships with you know town and country i think you said and like so house mm-hmm. or
1: different publications how did you kind of create that for yourself i think i mean i think at the beginning you know even in terms of my social media presence it very much started because i had my startup brand and definitely at that time there was a real wave of young people so i must have how old was i i was 20 when i started that um god 10 years ago i'm so old but um there was a real wave of uh, of 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 us this generation of us creating and i i people call them challenger brands which is kind of what they they were and what they still are is kind of brands there to challenge the kind of obvi- the kellogg's and the nestle and these like big multi kind of corporation brand like owned um products on the shelves and because it was a new space for everyone we there was a lot of support towards each other. And it's still, it's not, obviously it's not an industry that I'm particularly in anymore, but I still have friends from that. I still see the repercussions of those relationships that I formed there. Um, and it definitely taught me at that point just to ask for help or ask the question or ask the favor and likewise to connect people. And I still love doing it now, but I think connecting people, if you know someone that might help be able to help that someone or, someone's looking for a, a job and you know lots of different people who might not have a, a position right now, but you send an email just saying, could you keep this person at the forefront of your mind? Mm-hmm. Um, doing things like that, A, it helps and, and, you know, what goes around comes around, but also it sort of gives you the confidence just to ask, just to ask yourself, just ask the question. I think anything you know, I've asked a lot of questions and asked to do a lot of things and a lot of things have just not happened and or people have said no or they just don't even respond. That's mainly what happens. People just don't even respond because either they don't have time or they're kind of slightly rude and can't formulate an answer as to why they don't want you to do it. Because a lot of the time it's because they just don't want you to do it. And that's hurtful. But have you ever seen that film? Like he's not, he's just not that into you. Yeah. That that funny chick flick, which is a great film. And I think about that. No, I know, but sometimes it just isn't. It's like not yeah. everybody has to like you. That is the same thing. Um, I get so I that, think yeah. the more you do that, just just ask the question. The, what is the worst that can happen? Is that they just don't, they just don't respond, or they just don't, you know, they just say no. Um, and so I think I, I am quite, I've, I am quite good at, at doing that, and I don't, I'm not afraid of being uncomfortable and doing something that's like maybe a bit scary, um, which I think is important. For anybody for doing anything because if you stay comfortable and safe you're never going to get to the next step if you think
0: about it yeah so it's kind of getting out of your comfort zone and you know um not being afraid to I guess reach out to people and say can I do this work for you and would you say obviously they're all elements of networking but would you say networking is really key in terms of maybe going to certain events or just kind of creating different connections I,
1: I think networking is important and then I think it gets to a point. So I used to do a lot of networking or used to do a lot of things that I thought were networking, like going to kind of whether they were kind of openings or restaurant things or book launches. And I found it really exhausting, but I think I'm just one of those people that I, I really um, prioritize my evenings. They're really important to me. And if I'm out five evenings a week, I just feel drained. Yeah. Um, so I think networking is really important, but I think you can get a lot more from having a one-on-one with someone. So if you are at one of those events, just ask for that person's number. I know it feels like a really foreign thing in this day and age to be like, please can I have your email or your number? But just get the email or the number and then send them an email and then try and, you know, find a one-on-one with them when, you know, if, if, if it's someone who's very busy or someone who you think you're aspiring to and you, you, you know, you're, you're taking some of their time, you know work yourself around their timetable but I think try and get those one-on-ones more than these like mass group networking things I think feel often you come away from those things you haven't really learned anything you haven't got anyone's contact details yes you've met them once at this thing but do you have a relationship that you could then ask them something probably not so I think try and try and yeah in a way it's like less you know quality over quantity um And then I was also going to add, I used to do, I did quite a lot, especially when I ran my seed thing and, and still now, but I, you sometimes have to do, some people will argue with me on this, I'm sure, but I feel sometimes the benefit of doing things for free or at least offering your services for free initially, um, can be beneficial just because it gets your foot in the door.
0: Yeah. And it can showcase your skills and stuff like that. Exactly. Okay. Brilliant. Um, Okay. So just, so I guess some aspects of your work is like freelancing, working for yourself completely. What do you think are the pros and cons of that? And what is the kind of um, challenge?
1: So the pros is just, you know, that if you want to go to a yoga class at kind of 1130 in the morning, you can yeah that's always you can be that be person <laughs> you can be one of those people yes it's you <laughs> yeah. um also I have to say even because obviously I, I left art school and then I I mean I had I actually I worked in retail for almost a year and then I worked under and for a um an activewear brand and I was sort of her assistant in a way and her kind of number two so I did, I did work, you know, in, in that kind of mm-hmm. typical scenario, but you know, I went very quickly into setting up my own thing. And even when I worked for this activewear brand, it was all on my own time. I governed my time and when I did what and you know what I did. Um, so I, I think I would personally find it really difficult to go into a nine to five office scenario. I, yeah. um, even though when I ran my seed thing, it pretty much was that, in fact, it was like nine till nine, but um I think personally, it's definitely not for me, but weirdly, I really enjoy structure. So I say, oh yeah, you can go to a yoga class at 11.30. Very rarely do I actually do that. Um, I really enjoy, even in lockdown, I um, have written a timetable where I sort of write down everything I have to do Monday to Friday. And every Friday I will look at my week ahead and I'll plan that. And I find it especially I, I'm quite an anxious person. And I think when you are freelance, you can get very overwhelmed with the amount of stuff that you can do mm-hmm. because pretty much the amount of work that you put in is what you get out. So in, you know, in that sense, you could just work forever and all the time that there is that option just to never stop working. Um, and it can feel overwhelming. And for me, at least it can be quite paralyzing sometimes where I just feel like there's so much I could be doing. I just don't know what to do. So I just can't do anything and I'm just staring at a wall. Um, so yeah, writing down and creating that plan. Yeah. You're only nine to five almost kind of a thing. Yeah. And also it means when you wake up, I had it this Monday. So what day is it? It's Tuesday today. So yesterday I woke up and I, we were having breakfast, my fiance and I, and I was like, oh, I'm so glad I write that plan because I really, don't feel like doing anything today and I just don't know what to do but it's just great because I'm just gonna do what I wrote down yeah I wrote it down last Friday I just have something telling me what to do holding you Um, accountable exactly um so I think that's something that people struggle with a lot from being freelance um but I really like that. I think the biggest challenge is switching off because there's always a weird guilt factor about switching off and we can be really bad at it. And the thing about social media and obviously my work is social media is heavily a very important part of my work. In fact, I would say every opportunity um, has for me has come via my social media Mm. Um, and as kind of sort of fruitless as it can be sometimes. It can be a really powerful tool. I think we're seeing it at the moment in terms of the kind of questions and um, conversations it's sparking and forcing people to ask and answer. But it is, you have to think of it as a, if you are going to do anything very creative, you have to think of your social media as kind of an ever evolving portfolio of your skill set. So I think you always need to look at it and make sure that it is a direct representation of what you want to put out there. Um, And actually for me, something that I realized I can't remember where but uh, so I've said I've said I want to do presenting and I remember looking at my social media once and I was like it's really pretty pretty recipes everywhere there's like lovely lovely food shots lovely like shots of me with a plate smiling smiling at the camera with a plate of food mm-hmm. all of that stuff that's great it shows that I can write recipes it shows that I you know have I relate with my audience and all of that stuff I like being in front of the camera it doesn't really show that I kind of like asking people questions or that I like presenting there's no yeah. evidence there that I'm I I can be in front of a camera or that I can you know do that and interview people live and so I started kind of reworking it and making sure that there there was evidence of that and putting that stuff on there so I think you need to always make sure that whatever you're putting out represents what you're doing behind the scenes as well.
0: Yeah amazing I really yeah I, I completely agree with you I think social media is such a tool for personal branding and as you said a portfolio these days I mean you should look at it as I think a lot of people see social media as sometimes negative or, you know, a bit, mm. um, you know, um, a bit making them compare themselves, as we said earlier, but. Um, Which it can be. Of yeah, course. absolutely. But I definitely think that that is the benefit of it. It's, it can create your brand and mm-hmm. create business opportunities and you're the perfect example of it your podcast, Comfort Supper. So I've yeah. seen you do two lives, one with Asma Khan, who was brilliant. From Denver. Oh, amazing. Oh. She was amazing. I loved gosh. that. And then I watched her Netflix show. I was, oh, upset. Oh my
1: gosh. gosh. It's
0: mind-blowing, isn't it? She's an incredible woman. I haven't eaten there yet. I... Tell me about the inspiration for that podcast and how has it impacted your career
1: and personal brand? So Comfort Supper was actually a an event that I started running at Soho House before I did the podcast and I can't I actually I can't remember whether I wanted to do it as a podcast first or as a live event first but I just knew that I wanted to do it um and I pitched the idea to Soho House and I said look I want to interview I already did these um how to host a dinner party events and I run supper clubs and I'm very much you know being a kind of dinner party supper person is definitely one of my brand pillars. Um, so it was, it was, it was a natural kind of progression. And I pitched them the idea of interviewing people at time. It was chefs, um, pretty much focused on chefs. Um, and it has been until series two, which is launching soon. Um, but I Mm -hmm. said, look, I want to have a conversation with these interesting foodie characters and chat to them about how they like to have a dinner party and their kind of supper stories and, bit about their journey um and so I started it as a live event and then I managed to find a way to turn it into a podcast and that was that was that was it and I mean the idea is and the premise of the podcast is really simple is essentially I really like talking to people and learning about them Great. I think that food is a great connector and I think I find a lot of interesting memories are related to food. And so I found it quite in a, a kind of useful thread to kind of, to kind of use through a conversation to pull out perhaps more interesting or more personal memories and feelings and using food, food as the kind of common denominator between who, you and whoever you're speaking to on, on those kind of emotions and conversations. And it's just quite funny. There are some funny stories. Everybody has, yeah. I talk about their kind of kitchen failures and that's always quite hilarious. You know, hearing about, you know, when people forgot to put, they put salt in instead of sugar and this person came, and it was a disaster and it's just quite funny. And I think there are also a lot of nervous cooks out there or people who are afraid of entertaining. So I think hearing from, chefs or people who you really admire in, in, in the kitchen and you know, cooking, hearing about their kind of when they messed up is always, you know, humbling. Yes, absolutely. And how did it, um, how has it impacted
0: your career creating this podcast? You know, has it established you a bit more as a food personality or? De- I
1: mean, I hope so. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. It's always wary. I think I've definitely had more opportunities come because of it. And it's definitely, even, even for myself personally, it's kind of affirm the fact that I, I can, I can interview these people. And I know that primarily from my guests who've said that they've really enjoyed it or, you know, they've really enjoyed the conversation or that they felt that my interview style was good. Um, so that's always very rewarding. And I think I'm definitely one of those people that doubts myself quite a lot of the time. So it helps to hear from other people. Um, that, yeah, that they think exactly. that what you're doing is worth it and, and exciting. Um, and I, I, I love hearing when people listen to it, which obviously, and people give me the great best feedback. But I think ultimately, I really love doing it. Um, and, I, and I think when you really love doing something, it's very easy to continue to do it. What has been your biggest career challenge? I mean, I would have to say it's comparison still. Mm-hmm. If You know, the thing I find the most challenging and the most damaging for kind of my mental health and and therefore my productivity is my comparison to other people and letting that affect my self-worth, which when you are freelance, but especially when you work for yourself, is really crucial to how you perform. If you feel like you're crap, you're probably going to perform badly. So it's making sure that I don't waste time comparing myself to people in a way that's only going to be detrimental towards me
0: have you found any methods that help you with that? Like, obviously it's still there in some elements, but do you, do, you, do you find yourself doing anything that to kind of um, knock that effect?
1: Well, I was going to say, don't do it. Realistically, we
0: like, you know, it's hard, easier said than done. So is there anything that you're kind of a bit like, oh, this helps me. I, I switch off or I remember how, how this is done so successfully or something.
1: I think really, again, it's like writing down and focusing, you know, because worrying about it, it's not going to do anything, but if even, you know, it's natural to worry and it's natural to feel bummed out if someone gets uh, something that you really wanted. And it's, you know, I mean, I always say that thing about, you know, one woman's success is not another woman's failure, but it's natural that if someone gets something that you were pitching for and they got it and you didn't, you're going to feel a bit hurt. That's a normal feeling. That's not an emotion to kind of discard and think is stupid. It's, it's natural. You feel that. So instead of Wasting time worrying about it, and we all need to kind of, you know, take a moment. Then you know, be pragmatic. Look at what you can do, and be like, okay, so what? What's my plan? Just focus on the plan. Focus on the goal, the overall goal. Focus on what you're trying to do, and what you enjoy doing, and just keep going.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm a firm believer as well in that. Like, what's for you will not pass you. That that uh, that mantra, I guess. Um mm-hmm. so yeah, I do think something better is coming for you. Um
1: and I guess what has been your biggest career success? I mean, I I probably the book, having a, a cookbook is probably right it's still it's still pretty cool to be say that you're a published author. I don't think the thrill ever goes down. I'd really like to do another one. It's a it's a difficult yeah, time, I think, the cookbooks. You, yeah. But yeah, it's something I actually I need to focus on it. And um, people keep asking me. So it, it's I have an idea, so I just need to put that into action. Um but I also just getting on stage more and doing those things. Um, I think I spent, I definitely had a year where I talked about where's the book and everything just came quite quickly. Uh, and I did almost, it almost the, the kind of opportunity came to me and then I jumped on it because it had always been a kind of back, you know, back in my mind dream. The podcast was something I really went out and, and and fought for to make happen. And I definitely spent a year being saying to myself, I really want to launch this thing. I really want to launch this thing. And I remember at the end of that year, I spent a lot of the year talking about doing stuff and and not actually doing stuff. And, you know, I probably had personal stuff going on and my life is still going through lots of different shifts. Um, And the year after, I remember getting to kind of June and being like, wow, all the things I said I was going to do, I maybe haven't completely achieved them, but I've, I've started doing them. I've done something to make them happen. And I think... I think that's probably that's that's probably the big, biggest success because you I am probably my greatest enemy in in most things. So to kind of beat that, you know, that kind of negativity is is a really rewarding and that's the most challenging thing as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's like procrastination or getting too into your head can stop you from doing all this stuff. But when you exactly. kinda at the end of the year, like with your news, new year resolutions take stock of what you did in the year. And yeah, you know it's definitely and I love,
1: I know, I know news resolutions get a bit of a bad breath, but I love a new year's resolution. Yeah. So
0: <laughs> a goal setting, of course. Yeah. yeah. I love it.
1: Brilliant. Um, okay,
0: cool. So what one piece of career advice would you give to our listeners?
1: Well, I mean, I feel like I, I'm going to sound like a broken record, <laughs> but it I would know. be to not let comparison Stunt mm-hmm. the goals or ambitions that you're working towards. Okay, basically. brilliant.
0: Yeah, don't compare yourself to others. Mm-hmm. Every sense, really. Okay, cool. So my final question is recommendations, and this is just for fun and because I love recommendations. Mm-hmm. Tell me a book that inspired or changed your life, a beauty product that you love or swear by, and I'm very interested in your answer for a restaurant in London that you love. Uh,
1: Okay, so the book thing, I thought about this just before we had this conversation and I panicked because I don't actually, I'm not, I, I'm much more of a fictional reader than I am uh, reading kind of nonfiction. Oh yeah, I so book that you yeah. so I So I, mean, I, I bought all those like how to change your life books and then they just gathered dust on my bookshelf, but I love reading fiction. Um, so I really enjoyed a book called The Truant. It's kind of like a dark, twisted, love triangle um, affair. Um, and I found it really interesting yeah it's kind of like a literary angle they're studying English at university and okay I found that really good I also really loved this um, slightly more comical um, a trilogy of books by a a beauty journalist called Karen Wheeler and it's based Mm. on her life and true story it's about a beauty journalist who kind of packs up her life as as a full-time journalist for a magazine and moves to France to kind of do up this beautiful house and she encounters all these hilarious different characters and she has her own romantic story within that. And there are all these quite um, kind of farcical challenges that she faces. Um, but it's written very well. And the imagery, I think I like, I love anything that has that beautiful kind of imagery and, and French bakeries and doing up houses and stuff. Um, kind of so, that romantic side. Yeah, I love Yeah. And she was called Karen Wheeler. And the first one's called Too Sweet. And then I think they're, they're, like toot something like toot tell and like they're all toot something but i'm waiting for someone to turn them into a television show
0: i love that when you find a book and you're like this needs to be on the screen okay so beauty
1: product um so i have been using a an oil uh, a facial oil instead of a moisturizer and it's by a brand called madara m-a-d-a-r-a okay um and it, weirdly it's called super seed oil, which makes, oh. which is obviously what my seeds were called super seeds, but it's their super, their, um, super hydration, super seed oil. And I just, my skin drinks it up and I love the smell of it and I love the feel of it. And I love the, you know, when you feel kind of like you've just come out of a spa or a facial just by putting yes. something on your skin, it has that, it has that vibe just i I like it it's also organic and everything you
0: use it in the morning or the evening it's a quite like i use it
1: morning no so it's not it's not really oily it doesn't make your skin feel really oily it sort of just sinks into your skin um but i use it day and night
0: oh brilliant for hydration yeah brilliant um and restaurants in london
1: oh gosh so many um i love duck soup which is, yes. you said you came to that podcast. I, uh, yeah, so that's definitely still one of my favorite places to eat um, and places to sit. And also it's a great place to eat by yourself, which I think is it's something a, that it's, London's it's, restaurants still lack. Yeah, it's really nice. Um, and then I love the River Cafe as well, which is obviously you need to have a, a birthday or a massive wallet to go there, but it's delicious food. And I just love everything about our restaurant and I love the people behind it as well.
0: Yeah, amazing. I must try that one. Okay, Alexandra, thank you so much. That was amazing. It was great.